You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And it's Tuesday. That means it's Twitter Tuesday. I figured I'd do a little bit of a themed episode of Twitter Tuesday today. And I asked you all for your previous year draft crushes. Guys, you were really, really into this time of year in previous years. We'll look at how they turned out and what we can learn from that. It's going to be a nice, safe space to be wrong, and that's okay. I always say it's okay to be wrong, but some of you are right, and we can learn from that too. So we are going to look at some of your old takes. The police shooting there, obviously a a horrible tragedy and something that is difficult for all of us to parse out, and when sports gets involved, people tend to listen. So I 100% condone the idea of sports teams like the Wolves, the Twins, the Wild getting involved in that conversation. And there is a Locked On Wild, a Locked On Twins, and a Locked On Timberwolves that you can go listen to if you want. Uh, Updates on that. I'm sure Locked On Today is talking about it as well. As for this show, we're going to spend most of our time talking about old draft takes here, and hopefully that can give you a sense of relief from paying attention and doom scrolling and uh, being inundated with the terrible things going on around you. It's okay to take a 25-minute break. The world's not going to pass you by. So I would like you to come join me while we talk about old draft misses. And the goal of this is not just to laugh at people who were who are wrong or or praise people who were right. That's not really something I find much value in unless it's hilarious, but rather we're going to attack this with the goal of learning something from all of these old ideas because now we have the benefit of hindsight, right? I rail on hindsight a lot on this show because I think generally evaluating people based on hindsight isn't really fair, right? If you know more than they knew at the time, it doesn't really make sense for you to say, well, shouldn't it have been obvious? But that doesn't make hindsight useless. It gives us somewhat of a control and we can learn other things, you know? We now know that Michael Thomas is better than Laquan Treadwell. What does that teach us? And if your answer is, well, it teaches us that the Vikings are bad and the Saints are good, then I think you probably need to try a little harder. Not that criticizing the Vikings for the Treadwell pick is like off limits. Of course, you can and should criticize them for the Treadwell pick. It was a terrible pick. It totally blew up in their face. But what we can learn as fans and people trying to understand the sport is a little deeper than that. That's what we're going to try to do on this show. And that is the first one we are going to start with. So again, I asked you all for your old draft takes and you guys sent me a whole bunch. So thank you so much for sending them all to me. And the first one comes from Zach Dwayne, who said Treadwell was the first time I can remember drafting the guy I wanted all along. If we wouldn't have gotten lucky on Dixon Thielen, the Treadwell bus would be talked about way more. I don't know what Vikings Twitter you're a part of, Zach, but it's talked about a lot. But yeah, I guess you have a point. Like, if it weren't for Diggs and Thielen being really, really, really good for many years, and now, it, you know, going straight from Diggs to Jefferson and all that stuff, that really does soften the blow. And if it really was only, like, Thielen and Jarius Wright and, like, Kendall Wright and, and, you know, a whole bunch of nobodies and, you know, the Vikings having to be in the wide receiver market in other years where, like, the wide receiver draft classes in the Treadwell years were, like, really bad. And if they had to go right back to that well because Diggs wasn't there uh, or Thielen wasn't there, like, yeah, 
that would have been real rough. So I wrote a, an accompanying article to this piece that just went up uh, this morning on Tuesday morning on uh, on Zone coverage about learning from old draft misses. Uh, I didn't go off of your draft misses, but rather like NFL ones. And the Treadwell Thomas miss was one of them because the Vikings weren't alone there. Consensus, if you uh, go by Arif Hassan's consensus board, where he took as many big boards as he possibly could and mock drafts and stuff like that and, and aggregated them all into kind of this idea of where consensus saw all these players, Treadwell ranked 11th and Michael Thomas ranked 40th and the variance on those rankings was below average, meaning by and large, consensus agreed. Now, there were a lot of people that had Thomas over Treadwell, and those people get their well-deserved victory laps, but on the whole, a lot of people were wrong. The Vikings included, I'm sure, a whole bunch of other teams. Michael Thomas fell to the second round and then turned into, far and away, the best wide receiver out of that class. I mean, nobody even came close. Nobody even had a, a, a career except, like, Will Fuller, and he was lower on consensus as well. So where did everybody go wrong? This is the kind of thing we can learn. And Treadwell was one of the examples. I talked about like Billy Price. I talked about DK Metcalf and that one. So go check that article out. But with Treadwell, it's a really interesting case because Treadwell's pre-draft process has a lot of really familiar tropes. He had an injury and then a bad combine. And so it was really easy to look at his leg injury and say, oh, well, that's why he ran a poor 40. He also had a really, really limited route tree, but it was really easy to blame the offense and to say, well, when he gets into a full offense, of course it's going to go. And I think the lesson we learned from Treadwell is twofold. A, blaming an injury for the combine is a decent thing to consider, and I wouldn't throw it out entirely, but defaulting that's probably a bad idea. And B, if he doesn't have a full route tree, don't assume that he can have one if asked to. And as for Michael Thomas, I think a better lesson can be learned from Michael Thomas, and it's one that applies to other wide receivers coming out, like Justin Jefferson, for example. With Michael Thomas, his scouting report, he had a lot of strengths. He was like, yeah, his routes are good, he catches everything, he's, uh, you know, he's got good size, he's got, like, speed for the position, the athleticism's fine. Every, he checked every box. But there was nothing particularly stand out about him. He wasn't the fastest guy in the class. He wasn't the biggest guy in the class. He wasn't, didn't have the most explosive plays in the class. His highlight tape was kind of a lot of, you know, after catch stuff. His highlight tape had a lot of, you know, non-NFL players screwing up. And so he, he was a difficult evaluation because of that. The thing is, there were also no weaknesses. And I think the lesson of Michael Thomas that, that, that I learned at least from Michael Thomas, and I bet a lot of people did too, is that a lack of weaknesses for a wide receiver might be the best strength you can ask for. If your routes are good, your hands are good, your releases are good, if everything is good and there's no way to make you lose, how do you beat that guy? And so if you could go back and, and scout the 2016 draft class all again, or try to apply it to a class like this, I'm not crazy familiar with the wide receivers, but if you have wide receivers in this class that have no weaknesses, but not necessarily have as you know exciting of strengths, he's not the fastest, he's not the strongest or whatever, go with the guy with fewer weaknesses, because the more complete kind of all around prospects are at the very least, they'll be possession wide receivers. And at best, they'll be guys that can, you know, rack up 800 yards a year, or even be Michael Thomas's that have these like, you know, Michael Thomas has a couple of years where he's probably the consensus best wide receiver in the league, and the lack of weaknesses is what's contributing to that. So I hope that gives you a good example of how we are going to handle your draft misses. Of course, Zach's was also in that. In that spirit, the prospect of the day is somebody we actually took in Mock Draft Monday yesterday. It's Seth Williams, wide receiver out of Auburn, a guy who, to me, he kind of strikes me as someone with very few weaknesses. He's not an athlete. He does not have athleticism, but he has all the traits and skills that you would want out of a wide receiver, and that guy can sometimes beat expectation. But hey, there's a lot of different ways to miss. Sometimes you whiff on a gamble, and I want to hear your story. 
stories. Tell me at LukeBronNFL at LockedOnVikings. I want to start reading them in these segments. So tell me your gambling bad beats from this year, from earlier, from the Masters, whatever, and I'm going to read them on the show here. Tell me about your good beats as well. If you hit a five-team parlay, I want to hear about it. I did that one time in my life, and I've never felt so electric for making like what ended up being like $40. You can head out on over to betonline.ag to try your hand at all things grambling. You can bet on any sport, awards, reality TV, whatever you like. It's free to make an account. Just make your first deposit and enter promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus. That means that BetOnline matches your first deposit up to 50%. That's at betonline.ag, promo code locked on to get that 50% welcome bonus. Hey, so like I talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, the Locked On Today podcast is covering all things in the wide world of sports, including the uh, the postponements in Minnesota. I also think you should listen to Locked On Wild, Locked On Twins, Locked On T-Wolves, their daily shows just like this one about those sports, and they're going to have some important things to talk about. So what are you doing listening to this one? Turn this thing off and go to one of those podcasts and listen to those sports teams that are making a difference at a time where a sports team needs to. If you do want to continue to listen to this to get an escape from the terrible things that are probably inundating the rest of your social media diet, I'm here for you. So let's keep talking about some old draft takes. And the next one comes from Kyle Slady, Sinnoh champion, who says, the first player I ever, I ever fell for when I tried to start watching film was Pat Elfline. You're not alone. And here's the thing about Pat Elfline. I don't think you were wrong. I think Pat Elfline was a good prospect, and I've, I've displayed this take before. I had a whole podcast about it a few weeks ago, and I've written an article about it as well. But I think that good prospects come to the Vikings and get ruined by a crosswire between the way the Vikings evaluate their prospects and the things they value in prospects and the way that they actually bring those prospects along. This is a thing that's more unique to the offensive line because the offensive line doesn't have the same coaching that something like the defensive line does. But in short, they bring in you know raw athletic prospects that could be Tyron Smiths if they work out, and then they cause those guys to start before they're ready. They ask them to switch positions. They don't have, you know, they've got this like revolving carousel of O-line coaches and all these guys, you know, they never come along the way that they're supposed to. I think Pat Elfline in a different situation could have worked out. And I honestly wouldn't be that surprised to see him work out in Carolina with like a stable-ish offense and some coaching that makes a lick of sense. Tad says Leonard Fournette. He had that 2,000 yard season at LSU in 2015 as Adrian time in Minnesota was ending. Of course, 2016 was his was Adrian Peterson's last year in Minnesota, and he didn't play most of that season with a meniscus injury, so that 2,000-yard season at LSU, and then Fournette goes fourth overall, and if, if I remember, Fournette had a pretty good rookie year, and then he kind of fell off after that. I mean, of course, he's still, like, uh, an, an NFL running back, and for running backs, you know, and part of the reason you don't want to take running backs really high is that they don't tend to last in the league more than five, six years, and I think at least Fournette has crossed that threshold, but his career has not been particularly dynamic, right? I would say Ezekiel Elliott's had a better career, you know. Saquon Barkley, if he can come back from his ACL, will probably have had a better career at, at the end of the day. And, and I think getting excited about a 2,000-yard season, a big-time yards season at LSU, of all places, is probably the mistake you made there. Uh, I think there was a way to kind of evaluate Leonard Fournette as a player, as a running back in a style that doesn't fit what NFL offenses are doing anymore. You know, Saquon Barkley does a little more, and I still disagree with the Giants for picking him second overall. I think you probably could have gotten better value at number two there. But with Fournette, he was a bruiser. I mean, he was an Adrian Peterson style runner. I mean, Adrian himself is a freak and still like somehow is in the NFL. But, you know, Fournette was the kind of thump him three yards in a cloud of dust kind of guy that was 
great in the 1990s NFL when all the teams were doing that. But now asking him to kind of get going and get that, you know, that momentum, that physicality that, that we always talk about with running backs is a little too costly when the alternative is a more modern offense with, with you know, lots of deep passing and play action and, uh, you know, bootlegs and stuff like that. And it doesn't really work with Leonard Fournette. And I think that might be the mistake, not necessarily misevaluating him. He was obviously very, very good coming out and everybody was really excited about him coming out of LSU and for, for very good reason, but more that the style of the league I, kind of, he went out of fashion, I guess is a way to put it. Theo Freer asks, didn't think the Vikes would draft a corner in 2018, but I was obsessed with Jair Alexander and we ended up picking Mike Hughes because Green Bay took him. I don't know if like the Vikings resigned and settled for Mike Hughes. I think if, you know, they were locked, I don't think they lock into positions like that. I think they were high on Mike Hughes and we can probably criticize them for being that high on Mike Hughes. And I think a similar wire is crossed a little bit where he was an outside corner that was this really good athlete, this really just dominant kind of football player that just romped on lesser athletes all over the world at, you know, UNC. And then he left UNC and he did the Juco thing and then he came back to UCF. And he played well at UCF as well. Um, but he obviously, I mean, I don't know, he translated fine, but he had to learn the slot and then injuries kind of derailed that. And the fact that your uh, strategy for bringing a player along can be destroyed by injury in that way is an indictment, I, I think a small one, but it is an indictment of that strategy. I mean, you know, what strategy does hold up to the guy missed like the better part of two years. As for Alexander, I was really high on him, too. I was really heartbroken when he ended up going to the division rival. I knew he was going to be a thorn in our side for years. Uh, but I don't know. We'll see. Green Bay has a, a tendency to let these guys walk after their rookie year and, like, ruin the contract thing. So maybe they'll they'll mess this up. Chase Palm says, I was huge on David Johnson coming out of UNI. He had the total package, but was from an FCS school. Injuries aside, I think that's my best call. I think David Johnson had a good career. Yeah, again, for a running back, you know, you're good for a few years and you fall off for a few years and then you retire at, like, 28, right? Like that's the the running back trajectory. And I think David Johnson has has kind of uh, fulfilled that prophecy, I guess. He's been pretty good. And honestly, I think he get the victory lap on that, right? He's a third round pick. And as a third round pick, he outperformed that. If you called that, you know, good on you. Luke EVT says, I think I cried for the first time we passed on Manziel. Not my proudest moment looking back. Yeah, people got really into Johnny Manziel. And I think the, the dynamic playmaking, you know, the just kind of schoolyard thing that obviously was never going to work. I remember watching Manziel and in 2014, I wasn't nearly as like evaluative as I am now. I was much more of a kind of kickback watch on Sundays kind of guy. Um, but I remember 2014 was one of the first years that I started to kind of expand my horizon and really like apply the goal of like, I want to know more about this other than, you know, just the regular yards, you know, and I, I want to know more than just the random stats they put up on TV that says they like touchdowns and interceptions. And I remember like watching some Manziel tape and going, oh my God, this is never going to work in the NFL. And then all the off field stuff came up and all that stuff. And I was like, man, I don't want any part of this guy, but I could totally see why people fell in love with that. I think the lesson we learn from Johnny Manziel is a don't just ignore off field stuff right? Like that's something you have to look in, into. And like for this show, I can't make a declaration about it. I don't know anything, but I have to mention it. You know, I have to say like a guy like Michael Persons, like, yeah, you have to look into that. And if you look into that, you decide he's off your board. That's a perfectly valid conclusion to come to. And I think the same applied to Manziel. Of course, you know, he he couldn't get it together. He was too young, too immature, and he didn't figure it out. And, and I don't think he was even that good of a quarterback anyways. But hey, at least he did have his heyday in the world of Madden. He was like a god. Speaking of responsibility, it's important to take care of 
of your car. This year, your car probably got fewer miles than it usually does, but you still need to get the oil change. And if you want to save a book while you're doing that, maybe do a little DIY, change the oil yourself if you're that kind of person, head on over to rockauto.com. Enter your make, your year, and your model in their wonderful catalog. It's very expensive, has all the products you could ever think of, and they will narrow it all down to make sure you're getting brands of oil and types of oil that are compatible with your car. Make sure you're not putting the wrong thing into it because that can gunk up the engine, do a lot of damage. You can also save a buck getting oil or whatever you want at rockauto.com because they don't give you a separate price as a retail customer versus their wholesale buyers. The brick and mortar auto shops are going to upsell the retail walk-in people. Rock Auto doesn't do that to you. Everybody pays the same price, which means you stand to save a buck. So head on over to rockauto.com, whether you buy oil or something else, make sure that at checkout, you let them know that Locked On sent you because if you don't, I'm going to have to take a gig scouting seventh round draft prospects from the FCS and I, I just can't handle that pressure. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need. Okay, so next week on the Locked On Podcast Network is awesome. So Locked On NFL, all 32 of us hosts got together and made draft picks for a mock draft. We did trades, we did the whole gambit. Michael Irvin, Brian Baldinger, and Michael Lombardi are going to come and break all of our stuff down here. That is going to be a separate podcast feed, the ultimate 2021 NFL mock draft. Look for that podcast feed on the Odyssey app, that's A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you find your favorite shows. It is awesome. I had a lot of fun doing it, even though I'm not too happy with the results. But hey, them's the break. Speaking of results we are not happy with, Jeremy Parr says, I thought Jaleel Johnson would be a very decent mid-rounder. I'm furious with Charles McDonald uh, at 4Verts on Twitter. He talked me into Jaleel Johnson being a first-round uh, prospect, and uh, he he misled me, and I blame him entirely for being wrong on that. Uh, but no, I, Jaleel Johnson had a lot of good tape in Iowa. He had a lot of really good disruptive, I mean, he was a bear. And he did a lot of really interesting stuff as like a penetrating three technique, and I thought, oh, great, we got a three technique, you know, we're we're replacing Sharif Floyd here, who was still going through his knee problem. And we did it. You know, we traded down. We got it at the top of the fourth round. I thought it was this awesome slam dunk pick. To be honest, Jaleel Johnson, as a fourth rounder, and my standard for fourth rounders is, you know, if you are a contributor at any point through your rookie contract, rotational or otherwise, I think of that, that's good for a fourth rounder, right? Like a positive contributor. And I think as a rotational player, Jaleel Johnson did fine. When he was asked to be a starter, he could not rise to that occasion. But as a fourth round pick, I don't think that should be the expectation that he should be a starter by the end of his rookie contract. I think that's too much to expect from a fourth round pick. So I think the Vikings were about right on Jaleel Johnson in terms of where they selected him and trading down and then taking him there. But if you were like me and you were way higher and you thought, oh my God, we got a first round prospect, oh yeah, there's probably some homerism creeping in. I was a little bit too eager to believe, you know, the one person who said that that guy was a first round pick. But I also think that A, the idea that, you know, he then started playing nose tackle and had to be asked to kind of, uh, to, to kind of like hold a spot and he had a wrestling background. So I thought he'd be able to win leverage battles despite being kind of undersized. I think my lesson there is a defensive tackle. I don't want, I'm not interested in small defensive tackles. Give me a dude that is 360 pounds and, and immovable when it comes to nose tackles. Enough of these Hercules Mata Afa penetrating guys that do it in a weird way. Give me an anchor that's impossible to move. Give me the strongest man on the planet. And, you know, let's, let's build out from there. And I think that's the lesson that I take from Jaleel Johnson. Ivan Ampersand has a big W on his. He says, Honey Badger was my first ever draft crush. Uh, 
you got that one, man. I don't know what to tell you. Blue Dot in a red state says, Ponder, I wanted to believe in so much because we needed him to succeed. We did need him to succeed. And that era was really, really difficult. I'll be honest, I was in college at the time. I was a little bit distant from football in general because I didn't have a lot of ways to watch the games and, you know, on campus and stuff at the time. They did not often show Vikings Lions in like the California market. So I was not able to be that close to the team. I actually rewatched the 2011 season, which I had missed most of last offseason as kind of a cursed offseason project, which boy, yeah, I get why all of you are so mad. Um, but Ponder, I think, was I don't know. I feel like we should have seen Ponder coming. He he was never that good of a thrower. He was always a kind of he was a tuck it and run kind of, you know, deer in headlights. He had one read and then uh tuck it and run kind of guide. We've seen that type of quarterback like bust all of the time. We don't see those guys come out anymore. I think the NFL has learned its lesson. And I think that's probably the Ponder lesson, right? It's a 10-year-old lesson. Um, but that's you know, he's a 10-year-old prospect, is the the guy that tucks it and runs and gets a bunch of really interesting production by running on the ground isn't a mobile quarterback. That's just a guy that can't read the, the defense. Benjamin Thomas says, Teddy, I thought the Vikes had drafted the best player in the draft. I I think it was the best prospect in that draft. I think he had this weird, like he had a bad pro day, right? And he didn't throw and and it turned out he needed his gloves. And I think he, he, I I don't know. I I still believe that Teddy, if he hadn't gotten injured in 2016, the way he did, and he was able to develop, I mean, he had to basically take like two years off of football professionally. And then even like a third year to take 2016 and 2017 off for the most part, he got in for like two seconds in a game in 2017. And that was about it. And then in 2018, he ended up being a backup. And he in 2019, he played like five games. 2020, he had a bad year. But he'd been out of football for like four years, and his development is totally stunted. I think the alternate universe where his leg doesn't get treaded by I still kind of think that somebody rolled up his leg in camp and the Vikings just like covered for that guy, and which they should. I'm not going to, you know, poke into that. But that's my conspiracy. And I think in a universe where that doesn't happen, I think Teddy comes along a lot better. So I don't know, it's hard for me to be like, well, this is why we were all wrong on that prospect, because I think there's a different word, like he just got injured and that ruined the prospect that just happens. And I think maybe the lesson there is, you know, there there isn't always like a way to be okay, this guy was absolutely wrong. And I should have seen something coming. I think it's okay to ask, well, should I have seen that coming? I'm not going to see like a freak, you know, once in a million leg injury that almost kills the guy. Yeah, I'm not going to put that possibility into my prospect evaluation. I think that's an okay thing to do. But going through that thought process and saying, well, should I? No. Okay, moving on is a good place to kind of uh, to take something like that. Mike Luciano says, while a decent player, I thought Uchenna Unwosu was going to be insane. I don't know. You didn't miss too bad with that. He's been pretty good in Los Angeles. Zach Walters, I was super high on Chase Vinovich a few years ago. I think he has a really bright future in the league. He's been kind of, I think, under the radar. He was a really exciting prospect, and I think he's going to play that Kyle Van Noy sort of role really, really well for for the Patriots. Uh, Yandre, I loved Gladney, called him a Zimmer's cornerback since 2018. I mean, he's absolutely a Zimmer cornerback, like on the field, right? Like he has exactly that. Zimmer has really fallen in love with short quarter cornerbacks lately. He has that kind of press man. I hate to say physical, um, but I mean, he is like a physical at the line of scrimmage. Obviously the off field, the, the domestic violence thing, we have to kind of wait and see how all of that pans out. But there wasn't much of an indication for that as a prospect of what that was going to happen. So if you were excited, I mean, I was really excited about Jeff Gladney as a prospect and because I didn't think there was any off field. Like I thought that was part of it. My biggest concern outside of like football related things was that he had a bunch of knee surgeries. So I don't think you should like beat up on yourself for not seeing something like what happened with Jeff Gladney and what Jeff Gladney did. I, I don't think you need to like beat up on yourself for not seeing that coming. 
Senor Scoliosis says, I thought Anton Exum was going to be the steal of the draft who fell due to ACL issues. Liked his personality, too. It defended him until he was released. Smiling face with an open mouth and cold sweat. I, I don't think you're wrong. I think Anton Exum, I mean, I don't know. He's a backup six-round pick, backup safety for the life of his rookie contract, and then a couple more years in the league after that. That's great for a six-round pick. I think that absolutely beats. That's much more of fourth-round pick value, and just some of that value the Vikings happened to not want for the price that it came. Um, and, you know, that was a, a contract decision that's got a bunch of other factors playing into it. So I don't think you were very wrong there. I think the idea of taking a player who fell due to an ACL problem and now it's the sixth round, I'm going to take a sixth round pick. If this guy heals and he's ready by next year, you know, we nailed it. I think that's absolutely a process that I would like the Vikings to continue doing. And I think Anton Exum, I mean, I don't know, he was fine, right? He was a backup. And I think when he came in, I mean, he played like a backup, but like a sixth round pick for a guy who's a backup for their entire rookie contract, value-wise, you need backups. Like you need to fill out your roster. So spending sixth round picks on that, I think that's what they're for. Navarez Luis says, does Anthony Barr count? Of course he does. Uh, I had heard of a six foot five running back with speed who switched to linebacker that was racking up sacks and I was sold. Still shocked they picked him at 10. I mean, Anthony Barr as a prospect was a really unique case he as a player he's been a really unique case so i don't think you can apply him very well to like other situations like i, I see a lot of stuff about like oh this guy can he be the anthony bar replacement can he be the anthony bar replacement? look a, a world without anthony bar is a world where they redesign the defense around who they end up having anthony bar is very very unique they're not going to just make somebody else try to fill his role because his role is designed for him and him alone that said i think you were right to be excited about him I mean, it worked out great kevin brown says matt khalil thought he would be a safe solid quality starter for 10 plus years at left tackle for the Vikings. I don't know if there's anything you can learn about that. I mean, every single person in the entire world had him going to at, at number three to the Vikings. And the only thing they got wrong about that was that the Vikings traded down a spot before they took him. He got pneumonia. He never got the weight back. Keeping weight on was a really, really difficult thing for him. And I think maybe if there's a, you know, the guy whose frame is filled out might be something to like maybe keep an eye on. But I think that's just one where we just kind of have to say, all right, that one didn't go as we expected and try not to ruin our process too much trying to reverse engineer for it. But I do think we can learn some lessons about, you know, kind of sticking by a guy just because you don't have like a convenient way to get out of him. Um, and maybe this can be applied to Riley Reef, for example, right? Maybe this can be applied to Kirk Cousins, uh, that maybe being more audacious about how you get around that guy can help you to not be poor at that position for one too many years. The kind of thing, I've, I say it all the time, I stole it shamelessly from Eric Eager at PFF. You'd rather be early than late on that kind of thing. So uh, we'll come back tomorrow. We'll talk about any news that comes up. If not, we'll keep talking about some draft stuff. We'll try to talk some philosophy. We'll try to, you know, really uh, hone in on some prospects. You can always hit me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL shows on Twitter at locked on Vikings. You can also find me hanging out in the discord. You can find the link for that in the show notes. And of course, pinned to the top of my Twitter page. I'll see y'all tomorrow. And as always, skull.